Happy 2018, boxing fans. I'm Michael Montero for Boxing Monthly Magazine and BoxingMonthly.com. Welcome to episode number 107 of The Neutral Corner, the first episode of 2018. And so far, you know, the schedule, it's just about to start going here. It looks pretty promising. I know a lot of people were down on 2018. I don't think some of the big, big fights are going to happen this year, like Joshua Wilder. I think those are going to happen in 2019. I do think we're going to get Canelo Golovkin too, though. But I do think we're going to have a really, really good year. It's kicking off this Saturday with the first major card, which I will preview in this episode. But first, a lot of news and notes to catch up on. So let's get into it. News and notes. All right, so kind of a mixed bag here. We got some fights that are coming together. Not Some are official, some aren't official. We got some deals to talk about, some moving and shaking, some uh, sanctioning body stuff, and some Dana White news. But uh, Jeff Horn and Terrence Crawford, this fight is almost done. I think they've agreed to terms and everything. I just, at the time I'm filming this, they haven't done an official press conference or anything like that. But... Uh, it's going to happen April 21st at T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. Uh, you know, originally this thing was going to go to Australia, but I think that uh, Grandpa Bob, top rank, they wanted that Vegas money. And I think Jeff Horn and his people figure if they're going to go up against Terrence Crawford, why not get paid the most possible money? So they want that Vegas money too. Look, obviously Crawford is a huge favorite in this fight. Horn is a bigger, naturally bigger, stronger guy, but that's about all he's got going for him. Um, you know, he, he got that decision over Pacquiao. I still don't think he won that fight, but he did make it close. He hung tough. I see Crawford winning a stoppage win here. Might even win stoppage on cuts if Horn can hang tough. Uh, Crawford needs to go in there and dominate. I think he will. He can make a statement with this fight. And then he's going to be a three-division titleist. Now, he was the champion at junior welterweight at 140 pounds, but he held a world title at lightweight. He's about to, as of April 21st, hold a world title at welterweight. I don't know what else Crawford can do at welterweight, though, because after he gets that the title, the rest of that division is held up with Al Heyman PBC guys, and they're not even fighting each other anytime soon. I don't think we're going to see guys like... Uh, Keith Thurman and Errol Spence fight each other until 2019 probably. So I don't know if Crawford could get the winner of that eventual fight till maybe 2020. So I'm not quite sure what's going to happen after this. But that's what's up. Uh, that should be announced pretty soon. It might even be announced by the time that I release this episode. All right. I want to talk about Dana White and Zufa boxing. Just for a minute here. You know, I've resisted talking about Dana White too much. Because, you know, everyone says they're going to get involved in boxing and rarely do these things work out. I, I mean, we've seen um, 50 Cent try to do it. We've seen a lot of rappers and entertainers try to get involved. We saw what happened with Rock Nation Sports. They're all but out of boxing right now. Um, so I don't know what's going to happen with Zufa boxing. But recently Dana White made a big stink saying that he is never going to do business with Showtime again. He's really, really mad at Steven Espinoza, who's the head of Showtime Sports, uh, and I think has done a really good job with their boxing in, in the last couple years. And Steven Espinoza reported the accurate Mayweather-McGregor numbers, which were very, very, very good. They were you know, the second best all-time as far as pay-per-view sold. Maybe it underperformed to expectations, 
Everyone said this is going to double or triple the record that Mayweather Pacquiao did. I saw all these, you know, we all saw the asinine post and, and, and bragging and boasting for months before that fight. But it still did an amazing number. And uh, Steven Espinosa reported it accurately. And Dana White is so mad that he's not exaggerating the numbers like he's trying to. And the way Dana, Dana White, the way he's operated his business, and I don't want to get into a big anti-UFC thing. I have nothing against UFC fighters and fans and all that. But the truth is, and this is the truth, Dana White lies a lot to his to that fan base, and they're very, very gullible. Now, there's some very knowledgeable fans in that universe, but most of them are casuals, and they're very gullible. They were gullible enough to buy the Mayweather-McGregor fight and believe that that was an actual competitive fight. Mayweather has since admitted that he carried McGregor. Whatever, I no need to get into all that. But Dana White has operated that way in that universe forever. He can't operate that way in boxing. And it's not that boxing promoters don't lie their ass off because they do. It's not that there aren't gullible, casual fans in boxing because there are. But there are more knowledgeable fans. This is a sport that's been passed down from generation to generation of fans. It's a family kind of a, a sport as far as the way it's passed down. And I think the fans are a little more knowledgeable. But more than any of that, boxing promoters have to adhere to the Ali Act. Here in the United States. And that means that fighters know what the promoters are making. They know what everyone's making. They know what the split is. And usually boxers, the big stars, they're getting 75% of the proceeds. The promoter is getting maybe 25%. Now maybe if you're a journeyman or you're a young prospect coming up, the numbers are a little different. But in boxing, the, the, the fighters, the athletes know where the money is and where it's going to. At least they're supposed to in most of the contracts. Now, there's some rumblings about Al Heyman and some of his contracts and dealings, and there was a bunch of lawsuits recently because of all that. There's some you know fuzziness there, and he's not the only guy to blur some of the lines, but basically that's the rule. In UFC, it's the exact opposite. Dana White in the UFC kept 75% or more of the profits from these big pay-per-view cards they put on. The fighters, stars, are getting half a million dollar purses, maybe a million dollars. They're stars of that sport. And they're doing pay-per-views that are selling hundreds of thousands, sometimes over a million pay-per-view buys. And he's keeping all that. He's not going to get to do that in boxing. And you're not going to get very, very far if you're beefing with one of the premium cable networks that puts up money for your product. It's pretty much Showtime and HBO here in the USA. And HBO does business primarily right now with, with Golden Boy and a couple of the other smaller promoters like K2 and stuff like that. Over on Showtime, it's pretty much Al Heyman and PBC, who Dana White has kind of aligned himself to in a way because the only quasi-boxing promotion he's done was the circus event between Mayweather and McGregor. And he's turned that into this whole crazy freak show, right? The way he, he's beefing with Showtime. So I don't see where Dana White goes from here. Is he going to create his own platform? He can't go to ESPN or anything like that. Bob Aaron beat him to the punch on that one. So and he's, he's beefed with Oscar De La Hoya. He calls him Oscar uh, De La Cuckoo. He hates Bob Aaron. He's beefed with him. So who are you going to work with? I don't see how Dana White is going to do anything in boxing. Maybe I'll be proven wrong, but I do know this. He's got a lot to learn. It's much more regulated. As crazy as boxing is and as many issues as, as there are in boxing, it is so much more regulated 
than UFC. It's not even close. Boxing is one of the most regulated sports in the United States, believe it or not. I know that sounds crazy. Dana White's going to learn that. He's also going to learn the way the profit structure is whacked up and everything else. It's a lot harder to make money in this racket than the one he just came from. And him beefing with everybody, all the power brokers in the sport, and one of the premium networks that actually pays for the product, not a good way to start off his business. So good luck with that, Dana and Zufa Boxing. All right, now one fight that's been made official, and I like this fight a lot. Uh, Dillian White versus Lucas Brown, March 24th, 02 Arena for the WBC silver title. Uh, that's White's title. He's defending it. It's basically the um, semi-mandatory for the WBC for Deontay Wilder, even though Dominic Brazil is the mandatory. Trying to figure out the way the WBC does things, you know, that's like impossible. But eventually the winner of this fight should get a crack at Deontay Wilder, right? I mentioned earlier in this uh, episode, I don't think we're going to see Wilder fight Anthony Joshua this year. I think that's going to happen next spring. So maybe at the end of this year, Dillian White, Lucas Brown, the winner of that fight, gets Deontay Wilder. We'll see what happens. But as it is, I like this matchup. Neither one of these guys is elite. I, I wouldn't put any one of these guys in the top 10 right now. Maybe borderline. I mean, but if you look at it, you know, White fought last October... Hasn't looked great in recent fights, but he dominated Robert Hellanius, right? And Robert Hellanius, nothing special. But uh, White, who's had weight issues, got his weight down. I think he was in the mid-240s for that fight. And he looked decent enough, dominated Hellanius. Wasn't a very good fight, but he did what he had to do. He's also had some entertaining fights in recent years. You know, he had that fight of the year candidate with Derek Tresor recently, right? Now, Lucas Brown, he only fought once last year. And that was against a journeyman who had a losing record and who had lost his last nine previous fights coming in. And he only went two rounds. So the last time he fought was March 2016. So almost two years ago, that's when he went to Russia and he beat Ruslan Shigaev. And, and it, what I felt was a very good performance, but he tested positive for performance-enhancing drugs. He's a two-timer. He's another one of these two-timers. So he sat pretty much on the shelf. He's fought two rounds against a cab driver over the last two years. And now he's going up against Dillian White, who just fought a few months ago against not a great heavyweight, but a sizable, experienced heavyweight in Robert Herlanius. So on paper, you got to favor Dillian White. However, if Lucas Brown can capture that form he had against Ruslan Shigaev, he might have a real go at this thing, and he might pull something out here. He's going to be on the road in harsh enemy territory, but he did that against Ruslan Shigaev. He had help from some performance-enhancing drugs. He's not going to have that benefit this time around. But just the, the, the styles and where both of these guys are at in their career, if this fight had happened, let's say, the summer of 2016, after Lucas Brown had just beaten Ruslan Shigaev before we knew that he was uh, you know, two-time pizza popper, I would have favored Brown big time. But at this stage in both guys' careers, you know, I, I shade Dillian White right now. Either way, contrast styles, I like this matchup a lot. Uh, stick with the UK news. Uh, Amir Khan just signed a three-fight deal with Eddie Hearn. Earn with Hearn. So Amir Khan is, is a strange dude. He's just a strange guy. The way he's gone about his career um, the UK is such a hot market. He spent so much time in the United States trying to build up a brand over here, but he fought so infrequently in recent years. 
and you took some bad losses, made some strange career choices along the way. He just really mismanaged his career. But at this point, doing a three-fight deal with Hearn, you have to figure at least two of these fights, but probably all three, will be in the UK. But maybe one will be over here in America because Hearn is doing the Matchroom USA thing. At this point in his career, though, I think this is a good move for Khan. And obviously, in the end, this is gonna this is gonna end up with a fight against Kell Brook, right? He's gonna fight Kell Brook, I think, in the third fight of this deal. But for the first fight, it's gonna be a layup. He'll come back and have a layup. Is it gonna be at welterweight? Is it gonna be at junior middleweight? The last time Khan fought was that KO loss to Canelo Alvarez at 155 pounds. And what was that? A year and a half, two years ago almost. So he hasn't fought in a while. Um, he hasn't been a welterweight since he fought Chris Algieri back in May of 2015. So I don't know if the guy can even make the welterweight limit anymore. We've seen pictures of him recently since he got married. Women will put a little weight on that belly, and he's got some weight on his belly the last few times I've seen him. So I believe, I would assume, he's going to come back as a junior middleweight and at some point end up fighting Kell Brook at 154. Kell Brook shouldn't be fighting at welterweight anymore himself. Maybe some sort of catchweight or something between him and Brook in the UK. That does big business over there. In the meantime, why not do a layup? And then, how about this? How about this for an idea? Saddam Ali, who just beat Miguel Cotto last year, one of the biggest upsets of 2017, takes that WBO junior middleweight title. He's got a mandatory defense due against Liam Smith. I think it makes sense for him to come over to the UK fight Liam Smith if he wins that fight or if Liam Smith wins. Either way, if I'm Amir Khan and, and Eddie Hearn, I, well, you know what? Let me take this. Let me back up. Boop, boop, boop. If Liam Smith wins, there's a promotional issue right there. I don't, I don't know, right? Is, is Liam Smith with Warren? I think Liam Smith is with Frank Warren. It's hard to keep up with some of these UK fighters because they bounce back and forth between Warren and Hearn. But off the top of my head, and correct me if I'm wrong, guys, I think that um, Smith... Politically, I don't know if that fight would be easy to make. But if Saddam Ali does defend his title against Liam Smith, makes that mandatory defense, I'm saying that second fight for Amir Khan back, him and Saddam Ali, there's a lot that could be promoted big time over there in the UK for several different reasons. Several different reasons. And you guys know where I'm going with all that. So I think that makes a lot of sense. There's options there for Eddie Hur Eddie Hearn and Amir Khan. Bear with me. I still have a sore throat. I've been trying to get over this damn flu. All right. What else can we talk about here? Tons of news and notes. Tons of news and notes. Um, Naoya Inouye dumping his super flyweight title and moving up to bantamweight. Now, I'm not a fan of weight jumping, but I, I hate when fighters will win one title, then move up in weight and win another title and move up and down and do all this stuff. I would rather a fighter solidify their position in one division, at least beat the best available opposition. If you can't, sometimes you can't unify titles because of political reasons. I get that. You can't fully unify the division, but grab two titles if you can. Fight some of the undefe undefeated up and comers, um, whether they're undefeated or not, the up and comers, the, the top contenders, then move up and wait. And with Anoyue, he hasn't done that yet. Now, I know he defended that title. Like, I think seven times. But there's so much talent in that division. And we got that Superfly 2 card coming up next month here in Los Angeles. And, and 
Uh, Quadras is on that card, and, and um, he's fighting McWilliams Arroyo. That's a good fight. Either of those two guys would be a good fight for an OUA if he could fight the winner of that. And then, of course, in the main event, you've got Rumvisai and Estrada. That is an outstanding matchup. I'd love to see an OUA against the winner of that fight. But he's moving up to 118 pounds. What we don't know is, is it because he wants another title and another weight class? This is just an easier route to go? Or is it because he's having trouble making 115 pounds? Usually when you see guys move up in weight this young, he's only 24 years old. Usually when you see guys moving up in weight this young, you know, maybe he's just outgrowing that weight. He's already moved up in weight. Look, he started at 108 pounds and he moved up to 115 in 2014. So he's been fighting at 115 pounds for a few years. And, you know, maybe he just can't make that weight anymore. So let's give him the benefit of the doubt and see what he does at 118 pounds. That is a much weaker division. Now, the... I think it's the WBO title. That's the WBO title at 118 pounds is, is owned right now by Zelani. TT, who scored a, a huge, huge knockout win last year. It was the world record for fastest championship fight. It was, I think, the first punch he threw he won, right, by knockout. He's got a mandatory defense, I believe, against Omar Narvarez. The winner of that fight obviously has that WBO title. Maybe Inouye can go after them. Jamie McDonald has the WBA regular title. Ryan Burnett has the IBF and WA, WBA super title. Obviously, those two, McDonald <coughs> and Burnett, are going to fight before Inouye gets a crack at them. So it's going to be tough for him to break in and go right to a title here. But I think down the line, he can maybe work himself into a mandatory position for one of Burnett's titles. Or if it's McDonald... If, if Burnett and McDonald fight, the winner between them, if I'm team Inouye, I'm going in that direction and trying to get a mandatory position. His younger brother, Takuma Inouye, who isn't quite the same fighter as he is, he's 10-0, but only has two knockouts. He already fights at Bantamweight, and he started at 108 pounds himself. And as I mentioned, he's the younger brother, and he's already moved up to Bantamweight. So I think this is an issue of genetics, where Naoya Inouye, 5'5", five five, it's tall for those divisions, he just can't make the weight anymore. That's what it sounds like to me. All right, another fight. Um, Anthony Joshua versus Joseph Parker. This has been talked about for a while now. They've been going back and forth with money. As far as I understand it, they've agreed to terms. They've agreed to money. Uh, it should be announced fairly soon in Principality Stadium in Cardiff on March 31st. That's what it sounds like. And this is going to unify uh, three of the four heavyweight titles. I think the winner of this fight is the lineal uh, champion. I mean, maybe that's a stretch, but they're clearly the man in the division. So it remains to be seen what Tyson Fury is going to do, but he's been sitting on his butt for two, two years now. I don't see him as the linear champion anymore. The lineage at heavyweight is busted open. It's vacant. Maybe the winner between Joshua and Parker isn't quite the lineal champion, but they're clearly the man. It's not Deontay Wilder. He's the second man. He's the man outside looking in. But if that fight comes together, obviously, it's huge. And I love that. I love that. Anytime you get unification. I've already heard some people on Twitter shitting on this fight, and I don't understand that. Some of you are saying, oh, well, Joseph Parker's not very good. Oh, I want the fight with Wilder. Look, the fight with Wilder ain't happening this year, guys. I'm telling you. Those types of fights take a year to a year and a half to put together. It's going to be the same process we saw 
with Canelo and Golovkin. So put that on the shelf for right now and understand the way this business works. In the meantime, if we can get unification between two undefeated title holders in their physical prime, what the hell is wrong with that? I mean, sometimes some of you guys just want to complain for the sake of complaining. So <clears throat> this will be back at the stadium Joshua last fought at, where he did, I think it was a crowd of 78,000 to fight uh, Carlos Takam last October 28th. And you got to figure they'll do an even bigger crowd for this fight, okay? Now, some WBC news. I love talking about the WBC. Boy, oh boy. They have mandated an eliminator fight between Vans Matarosian and Masiek Soleki. Soleki. Now, Soleki, I believe, is an undefeated uh, Polish fighter who's based in uh, the States now. Um, no frills to him. Interesting prospect, but I don't know if I see like a future champion there. Vanus Matarosian, he's kind of been the always a bridesmaid, never a bride type, right? He's had a couple of opportunities. Great gym fighter. Great guy I have in your gym, working with your young guys. Great for sparring, all that. But at the highest level in the pros, just doesn't seem to get over the hump and get it done. The winner of this fight is supposed to get a shot at Jermel Charlo. Charlo already beat Martirogian in 2015, and it was quite, it was decisive. I'm not going to say it was a domination, but it was a decisive victory. Vanas Martirogian has had one fight in 2016, zero fights in 2017. So let me get this straight. He loses to Charlo in 2015, has one fight in 2016, no fights last year, yet he's in an eliminator bout for the WBC for another crack at Charlo. Try to make sense of the WBC's logic. I sure as hell can't. Can you? Let me know. More WBC stuff. They were going to have a purse bid between Eladir Alvarez and Oleksandr Gavajdik for the, the right. Those two are supposed to fight in an eliminator fight for the right to fight against Adonis Stevenson, who asked the WBC for yet another exemption so he could fight Badu Jack. Okay, the WBC didn't mandate that fight. Adonis and his team asked for an exemption to fight Badu Jack, who just happens to be promoted by Floyd Mayweather, who the WBC is in big-time business with, and his, da his daddy, Al Heyman. So do the math on all this, and you see what's going on here. More WBC craziness. But apparently, Team Alvarez has said thanks, but no thanks. His promoter, Yvonne Michelle, says that they have won not one, not two, but three eliminator fights in the past, they stepped aside once before, and contrary to what's going around on Twitter, apparently they did not receive step-aside money. They did a step-aside once, but Michelle is claiming they did not receive any money for it, and they refused to do this again. They're not doing it. At this time, the WBC recognizes Eladir Alvarez as the number one contender and the mandatory contender at light heavyweight for Adonis Stevenson, as they have for several years now. It remains to be seen if that's going to change. At the time I'm recording this, the WBC hasn't made a ruling, but based off what uh, Team Alvarez is pulling here, I don't know where that leaves Alexander Gavajdik because he thought he was going into an eliminator fight. I don't know if they're going to cut ties with Alvarez and bring somebody else in to fight uh, Gavajdik. I, I don't know. But this is supposed to be a doubleheader where... Um, Donald Stevenson's fighting Badu Jack, and then in the co-main, you're going to get Alvarez, Gavajdik, and the two winners are supposed to fight each other next. It's hard to believe anything the WBC says because they've been telling us this with 
uh, with the light heavyweight division and Stevenson in his title for several years now with Eladir Alvarez. So again, at the time I'm filming this, no ruling from the BC. I don't know what's going to happen. It's really hard to keep up with their rules and how they constantly change them for people that they like. And as I've been saying for a while now, they are in the Al Heyman slash PBC business and they're in the Floyd Mayweather business. In fact, they're probably going to end up putting Floyd Mayweather on the WBC title belt soon. That's probably going to happen this year. So um, you got to think that Stevenson's going to get his Well, We already know he's going to get his way. What I don't know is, will Alvarez get his way? Because I believe he is promoted by Yvonne Michelle, but his advisor is still Al Heyman. So I think he might get his way and maybe he'll stay number one mandatory. I don't know. Remains to be seen. I can't keep up with the WBC. They're horrible. Anyone who defends them is crazy. Just flat out crazy. All right. That's enough with news and notes. We don't have anything to review. We haven't had any major fights. There's been a couple of fights here and there in the last few weeks. But um, it's, been, it's been too many, too much time has passed since those fights. There was fights over in Japan that I covered in my last episode, uh, previewed in the last episode of 2017 of the Neutral Corner. No need to go over there and talk about what happened. You guys already know. So let's go right into the fight preview. What's coming up this Saturday in New York. All right, so this Saturday at Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York, it is the first 2018 boxing card from Showtime. And much like last year, Showtime's early schedule this year looks a lot stronger than HBO's. But I told you guys about the structure of Al Heyman's contracts with his fighters and his uh, network contracts and how the thing, how they work. So the first quarter, the first two quarters of the year, you're gonna see better cards on Showtime and they're gonna fade throughout the remainder of the year. HBO is gonna start slower. Their first few cards are pretty much crap, honestly, but they're gonna have a better summer and a better fall. It's gonna be the same pattern as last year. Anyway, on the undercard, Marcus Brown, who's a light heavyweight, 20 and 0. Adam Konaki, a Polish-American heavyweight, 16 and 0. And Amanda Serrano, female bantamweight titleist they're all in the undercard fighting but in the co-main robert easter jr defending his ibf lightweight title against javier fortuna easter won that vacant title in september of 2016 this will be his third defense of that title uh, he last fought in june of 2017 it's five foot 11 76 inch reach big tall guy uh, a lot of volume a lot of punching uh, coming off a competitive win over dennis shafikov and uh, the scores in that fight, I remember a couple of them were re really, really wide. I think it was in Ohio, and Easter is an Ohio uh, born and bred fighter. So one of the local judges scored it way, way wide. But it was a close kind of the fight. But I thought Easter clearly won it. Fortuna's a Dominican fighter, now based in Massachusetts. He's really a natural uh, junior lightweight. Fought most of his career at 130 pounds. I think he even had some, some featherweight fights early on. But he had a title at 130 pounds. He's only five foot six, 68 inch reach. So he's the much smaller guy here. Not a very, very powerful guy. Neither one of these guys is super powerful, but Easter the naturally bigger guy, uh, a little younger, a little fresher. I like him probably by decision. I don't see him stopping Fortuna. I think that'd be a big statement if he did, but I don't see that happening here. This one's probably going the distance. Probably gonna see a, a lot of slapping in this fight, to be honest. Now the main event, 
Good solid fight. Errol Spence, first defense of his IBF welterweight title, the one that he won over in uh, Sheffield last year against Kell Brook, where he literally broke his face in a great, great performance. Going up against Lamont Peterson, good solid fight and a good first defense for a young Tigers to go up against a, an experienced, quality, professional prize fighter like Lamont Peterson. The problem is, this fight should have happened probably last August, September. Spence went over there and fought Kell Brook. I'm sorry, was it, was it Manchester? I can't remember. But I know it was over in the UK, went over there in May. So it's been eight months. Young titleists like that coming off the performance of his career shouldn't have been on a shelf that long. This fight, this is a stay busy fight to get to a better fight. This fight should have took place August, September, even October, something like that. Should have already happened, but better late than never. Peterson, here, here's the thing. When this was first signed, when this fight was finally signed after being talked about for months and months and months and finally announced, a lot of people are thinking, man, this is going to be a very, very close competitive fight. Peterson has had close competitive fights with several good fighters and come up just short. But here's the thing a lot of you are forgetting. Peterson is, number one, he's about to turn 34 years old. Okay, so he's an older guy and he's been in some rough fights. He's been in some long, tough fights. Number two, he's only fought once in over two years. So he's been extremely inactive, which, which is really a shame because he's put in some good quality performances. He gave Danny Garcia a very close, competitive, tough fight. And a lot of people out there thought it might have been a draw or something. I thought Garcia edged it, but he almost was punished for that performance and sat on the shelf for a long, long time. But number three, this is the one that a lot of people just aren't thinking about. Peterson has never fought a real, legitimate welterweight in their prime at the full 147-pound limit. That fight with Garcia, and Garcia is not a natural welterweight, he's a junior welterweight, but that fight was at a catchweight, right? He's never fought a big, strong, fully grown welterweight. Hasn't been active, and he's an older guy who's been in some long fights with a lot of rounds. So all that being said, I think Errol Spence is going to have a little trouble early. Peterson, <clears throat> he knows how to box. He's got craft. He's got ability. He can fight. But I think Spence is going to start wearing him down in the middle rounds. And I think Spence is going to stop him late. That's what I see happening here. A lot of people think this fight's going the distance. And maybe I'll be proven wrong. But it wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> it won't be the last. But I think that... Spence is going to get him out of there because of the three things I stated, because of those reasons. Spence is in his physical prime. He's peaking. He's confident. He's going to come into this fight, guns blazing. He might lose some early rounds, right? It might start kind of like the Kell Brook fight in, in a way. I thought Kell Brook was ahead halfway through that fight. But you saw him start to physically break down Kell Brook, who's a naturally stronger, bigger guy than Lamont Peterson. And he's been more active. And he's just a better fighter. So I think that you're going to see Peterson get broken down in the middle rounds and get stopped heading into the late rounds. That's what I see, guys. Let me know what you think. Comment below. Like, share, subscribe. Check us out on Patreon. Check out a t-shirt. Spread the word about the channel. Let's get things going. 2018 is on and popping. 
I'll see you at the fights.